Hebrews 11 tonight as we continue to take a look at these who have moved by faith. And that's what our theme, Believe to See, is all about. It's us moving by faith. It's my desire we would be a church body that would move by faith. Never become stagnant. Never become complacent with where we're at, but always going forward. We made the move to two Sunday morning services by faith seven months ago. Can you believe it already? And we did so for that reason. We were not wanting to become stagnant and complacent. We were believing to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God was continuing to bring people in throughout last year and the beginnings of this year. And as God would have it, the very Sunday we launched our second Sunday morning service. COVID-19 erupted in our area. But God knows the end from the beginning. and I trust that He had that date picked so that we could spread out a little bit. So it worked out in a sense, but it hadn't really worked out as I had hoped. Amen. I'm still believing to see. God bless that step of faith, and I hope you are too. And I feel like I need to take just a moment to remind you why we made that decision so we don't lose sight of what it is we were doing and are still doing for that matter. When we entered 2020, at the end of 2019, we were seeing, and really throughout 2019, we were seeing good numbers in attendance, and it was just getting higher and higher as the year went on. And visitors were literally driving into the parking lot and driving back out. And that hurts to see. People were coming in the back door. They would scan the auditorium, not see a quick place to sit, and they would leave. And some concluded that, well, the church is running too big for its size, and they went elsewhere. Now, that's what immature people do, okay? Those who are grounded will park and walk in. Those who are grounded will say, could you please scoot over? (laughs) Actually, those who are grounded will have already scooched in and made that room. And so it's not a good excuse, but that's just the way it is. And so I got really burdened about that, and it was always on my conscience that perhaps that was somebody who needed the Lord that day. Perhaps that was somebody who was looking for a home church. We didn't have the money to build. We didn't have the money to acquire a new property. And guess what? We still don't. Amen. $138,000 isn't going to go far. So the decision was made. Let's go to two Sunday morning services and just see how the Lord works in that. By the grace of God, we never had to close our doors this year. And that is by the grace of God. But we still haven't recovered from the effects of COVID-19. And who knows when we will. So what are we to do? Well, I'll probably say more when we get to our annual State of the Church address in January. But I'm prepared to give this another year. And I really want you to be behind that. If we see COVID-19 die down, that might be a big if. And you don't want my opinion. I don't even think it's that big of a deal to begin with. But if we see it die down, 
then after summer, if we aren't seeing enough attendees to justify two services, then we'll go back to one. So I say let's give it another year and just see what happens. I never wanted two services for the sake of having two services. I don't think it's a healthy thing to do. It was not on my to-do list just because. I only want to do it if it's a need. And really, it was me taking a step of faith with God saying, look, Lord, if you don't give us the money, we got to do something. So I, I never wanted to do it. I, I, I made that clear. It was never something I wanted to do. You think I like preaching extra time? No. Um, those who come to the second service, you hear me screeching as I'm trying to preach because my voice is shot after the first service. So it was nothing I wanted to do. In fact, you may recall it wasn't my first option. My first option would be to build a nice facility to accommodate the growth or find a larger facility and accommodate the growth. Um, so I'm just saying I only want to do two Sunday morning services if it's what we must do. And that being there's no other option to make room for the people who are coming our way. If that reason vanishes, we'll return to one service. Now with that being said, I want to reiterate my desire for us to keep believing to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're close. We're close. We'll see what winter brings. You know how that goes. We usually see a dip in the winter, and that's understandable. But let's not pull the plug yet. Let's see what happens through this next year. And let's remember that an active faith requires God to move. And with that, that brings us back to Hebrews 11. We've already studied verse 6 about having an active faith and how that active faith causes God to act. But let's read tonight verses 8 through 16. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one, and him as good as dead, so many as the star of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Now so far we have seen how Abel worshipped by faith, how Enoch walked by faith, how Noah worked by faith, and tonight we'll see how Abraham wandered by faith. Abraham's faith is the most mentioned of the Old Testament saints in the New Testament. A great deal is said about Abraham's faith 
John 8, 56, Acts chapter 7, Romans 4, Galatians 3, James 2, and here in Hebrews 11. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed. As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed Haran. God told Abraham to go, and he went by faith. And as I hammer this point that faith takes action, I want you to notice what's mentioned in these verses 8 through 10 about Abraham's act of faith. We see that he went out, we see that he sojourned, we see that he looked. He's active in his faith, and I want you to put yourself in Abraham's position. You're living in Ur of the Chaldees, and the Lord says to you, get out of your country. I want you to leave your father's house, I want you to leave your kindred, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. What would your response be? Well, you might ask God, where is it you want me to go? I don't know what your response would be. And maybe you'd ask God, where do you want me to go? And then when God tells you, perhaps then you would move. But that isn't moving by faith in Abraham's life. You see, he, he could have asked God, where do you want me to go? And God would have said, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you later. Just get up and move. That's faith. And you might have something going on in your life right now and God's working in your life and He wants you to move and you say, Lord, but what is it you want me to do? Where is He want... God just may want you to take that first step. And what I mean is faith isn't having it all figured out and then moving. But faith is moving, trusting God's leading without knowing all the details. In Genesis 12, God told Abram, get thee out of thy country unto a land that I will show thee. And here at the end of Hebrews 11 and verse 8, we see that Abram went out not knowing whether he went. God wanted Abraham to move without knowing where he was going. (laughs) Now that's faith. And let's give Sarah, Abraham's wife, a lot of credit as well. Husbands, could you imagine looking at your wife and saying, God told me we need to move away from our country. Great, where are we going? Well, see, that's just the thing. I I don't know. I just know we're supposed to move. And you know what? She did. This isn't just faith on Abraham's part, but this is great faith by Sarah. In some respects, we could say she had to have more faith than Abraham. Say, why is that? Because Abraham heard directly from God. She had to trust this, this sinner saved by grace. She had to trust this less than perfect person to say, no, this is what God wants us to do. Abraham definitely heard from God, and therefore he had no doubts in moving. But God didn't tell Sarah, get up and go. 
God told Abraham or Abram. For those of you that nitpick that, I'm going to say Abraham the rest of the night and just know that I know when he was Abram and when he was Abraham, okay? <laughs> you see, Sarah had to trust that Abraham clearly heard God's call upon his life. Isn't that something? She had faith that her husband had marching orders from God. And being a true helpmeet, she didn't put up a fight. But she supported God's call upon Abraham's life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. And in context, it's speaking of adorning themselves of, with a meek and a quiet spirit. And then it says, Being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Sarah willingly placed herself in subjection to her husband. She even called him Lord. Small l-o-r-d. Meaning this, she recognized Abraham as her earthly authority. We're having fun, aren't we? It's getting tenser the further I dig into this. But it is a true statement that behind every great man of God, there is a great and godly woman. And I want our wives to know tonight that your response to God's call upon your husband's life is instrumental to him fulfilling God's will for his life. The wife is designed by God to be a helpmeet. You are called by God to help your husband meet God's will for his life. You're crucial when God calls your husband to go somewhere or to do something. And wives, I wonder, how would you respond if your husband came to you with something God was calling him to do like this? Would you go? Would you submit yourself and support your husband? Now listen, I don't think it's wrong for a wife to look at her husband and say, are you sure? Amen. I like what one guy said about missionaries going halfway around the world. He said, before you move halfway around the world, you better know it's God's will. I don't think it's wrong for one to look at another and say, are you sure? But if the assurance is given and the husband says, yeah, God is leading me, would you follow sweetly in full support with a meek and quiet spirit? Now, this is an important observation to make because there are many men who are called to go, but they never obey because their wife didn't want to leave. And she never wanted to support her husband. She never wanted to support God's call upon his life because it would take her out of her comfort zone. Occasionally, I will receive letters from missionaries who are coming off the field. Or I will hear accounts when you get around preachers and they start talking names and I just sit there and nod. I don't know anybody, amen? I mean, I know Brother Jones, but that's it. <laughs> and honestly, that's all you need to get into the finest conferences. <laughs> But I get these letters, and it's, it's heartbreaking, to be honest with you, because while God called them to go and they went, their wives went kicking and screaming. They went very reluctantly. And she became a thorn 
in his side by constantly grumbling and complaining. And sadly, some of those have ended in divorce. I love the testimony of the Furs. Here's a man who had a lucrative job. He meets the Lord as his Savior. Then God calls him to preach. He shares his calling with his wife and adds this, God wants me to go to Bible college. These are not high school graduates. Okay, where it's all romantic at that time. This is people with responsibilities in life. And she fully supported God's call upon his life. He leaves his job, they pack up, go to Bible college. Long story short, people all over the world have been impacted by this man. Because he dared to follow God's leading and he had a wife that supported him all along the way. You see how powerful it can be? Thank God for godly, supportive wives that will trust God's leading in their husband's life. Listen, I've known those who were called to preach, but due to an unsupportive wife, they put geographical boundaries upon it. Oh, sure, I'm fine with you pastoring, but we're not leaving this particular state. What kind of sense does that make? And guess what? He never did leave his home state because she never wanted to. I'm thankful when God called me to preach, my wife was fully supportive. And, and kind of like that situation, I did not, I did not ask my, well, I never asked her to marry me, really. I just looked at her and said, guess what, we're getting married. And she said, okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a hopeless romantic, okay? Um, she's like, what did you think about the college? She's like, I don't want to go to college. I want to go to the Air Force. And I want to get married. She's like, okay. <laughs> but she did not say okay, knowing that I was going to be a preacher. And so that came later. But I'm thankful she was very supportive when God called me to preach. And when I told her I believe God was calling me to pastor this church, she never doubted God's calling. And she willingly followed me every step of the way. And she's done so now for these past almost 25 years. Of course, I was testing her in the years before we got married. She's not in here. We can talk about her. I'll save that for another time. But here's the thing. She had to trust that I was walking with God. Do you hear what I'm saying, men? She had to trust that I was walking with God. And the truth is, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my wife. There's no way I could continue without her support. And if my wife was in here tonight, and I hope she's listening in the nursery, if that isn't there... Hey, should nobody puts Adrian in a corner. What are you doing back there? Okay, good. Her antenna went up. I'm getting praise. Pulpit praise is the best. Amen. Now, Suge, if that ain't enough for you to hurry up out of here tonight and make me some popcorn and sweet tea, I don't know what else to say. You see, the weight of my heart is popcorn and sweet tea. <laughs> Amen. Did you hear me talk about when I asked you to marry me? That a girl. Yeah, that is true. I think we were riding in Pedro, and uh, that was her 86 sunbird. Anyway, I won't go back and reminisce. But the, um, I do want to say this, though, men. 
that is a humbling thought for us to think she's dependent upon us walking with God. And listen, I know not every relationship is at that point, but man, you need to be striving to become the leaders in your home. Amen. There's a time when your wife is probably going to be more spiritual. There was a time in our life where Adrian was. And, uh, but listen, as soon as I caught up to her, she was willing to say, okay. Amen. And so, man, it's just humbling to think that we need to be walking with God enough that we can hear God's call clear enough that when we look at our wife and we say, this is what God's calling me to do, she'll say, okay. You can go back to the nursery now, honey. Um, Wow, she left. It's amazing what happens in public, amen? Yeah, because we'll get home tonight. I'll be like, did you make popcorn? No, I and then I'll say something that I shouldn't say, Justin. I'll probably say something like, well, I wish I was your phone. You know, she's always on her phone. Yeah, amen. amen. All right. Marriage counseling over, amen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she can't hear me. Mike, I don't know where you're going, but <laughs> amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Here's the bottom line, I guess. I could never overemphasize a wife's role in a husband's life. Yeah, we need some strong women. While we read of Abraham moving by faith, let's not forget to sing the praises of Sarah, who by faith followed her husband's leading. So, God tells Abraham to go, and he left his country by faith, not knowing whither he went. Is God calling you somewhere? You need to go by faith. Is God calling you to do something? Perhaps God wants you to do more in your local church here, your home church. But it would be a step of faith for you to do what God is putting into your heart. I would tell you, go forward by faith. God will work out all the details as you go. And I can tell you that from my own experiences. Now, in these verses, we need to remember that during their sojourning, Abraham and Sarah were challenged in another area where they needed to have faith. God promised that they would have a son of promise. And when they left Ur, Abraham was already 75 years old. But long story short, it'd be another 25 years until Isaac, the son of promise, was born. Abraham was 100. His wife was 90. The Bible says that God gave her strength to conceive, and I would say so, amen. Strength to deliver that child at the age of 90. Look, I've been in the delivery room. You've been in the delivery room. You've been somewhere. (laughs) Amen. You don't forget that. (laughs) If I wasn't in the pulpit, I'd tell you some things. There were some ups and downs along the way for Abraham and Sarah, They laughed at God's promises. They sidestepped with Hagar. But overall, they kept their faith in God. In Romans 4, 19-21, it says, And being not weak in faith, 
He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And then here in our text in verses 11 through 12, we read, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. See, they both had to believe by faith. And they did. Even though it was an impossibility physically to have children, Sarah's womb was dead. Abraham could still have children. I believe we know that because after Sarah died, he married and had several other kids. Her womb was dead. She couldn't have children. She was past the age of conceiving children. But they had faith in God's promises. And though it took some 25 years to come to pass, Isaac, the son of promise, was born. There's a whole lot of faith taking place in their life is what I'm saying. And I'm not going to spend more time in this than we normally would. Normally we would take much longer in these set of verses. But we see in verse 9 that Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles. Meaning this, they never had a permanent dwelling place. And though it was the land of promise, it was never inherited by Abraham's descendants until hundreds of years later. In fact, the Bible says here in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And the reason why Abraham was sojourning as in a strange country is given in verse 10. For he looked for a city whose, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Because of that, the writer of Hebrews he gets us past some earthly country. And he says that they were looking for an heavenly country. They were sojourning by faith. They were just pilgrims and strangers upon this earth. And then in verses 14 through 16 here it says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. I think this is a very timely passage to find ourselves in on the Sunday service before our nation's election. There's no way I plan to land on this text tonight, but it'll be especially beneficial during these times of uncertainty in which we live. Keep this in mind. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, which was covered over with idolatry. He goes into the land of Canaan primarily and sojourns there. He spends a little bit of time down in Egypt. But where he sojourned wasn't any better. You hear what I'm saying? He came out of wickedness and he went to sojourn in the land of Canaan where there was idolatry. He for a time went down to Egypt and we know all the mess they had. Therefore, he never dwelled where righteousness prevailed. But it didn't stop his walk with God. Abraham wasn't looking for a better country upon this earth. 
He wasn't interested interested in returning to where God had called him from. But he desired a heavenly country whose builder and maker is God. This place where God hath prepared a city, this country where God dwells and reigns. And he saw it afar off by faith. And he was persuaded of it by faith. And he embraced it by faith. He settled it in his heart. Listen now. He settled it in his heart that he was a stranger and a pilgrim upon this earth. He never had a constitution. He never had a country that he could really call his own. Now there's no doubt we're watching our country erode before our very eyes. I haven't asked, but I'd venture that's why some of these are moving to the state of South Dakota. We are the most free state in the union, praise God. Our country is literally eroding before our eyes, and if this election is the one where the progressive liberals finally get the representation they need to pass their agenda, we're going to watch the foundation of our country erode even more quickly. Now listen, I believe this is my job to tell you this. I don't like preaching politics, but I'm just telling you, we need to learn to stand. Hey, the edges of the map are all filled in. There is no other place to go. This is it. The globe has been mapped. There's no more frontier. I'm not moving to Antarctica anyhow. There's nowhere else to go. And there's nothing wrong with loving our earthly country. I love this country. There's a reason I spent 21 years defending the constitution of this country. I believed it was worth defending. I still do. And I think we need to continue to stand up for our freedoms. And I do believe we need to fight when necessary. I came across this quote this week, and boy, did it hit me. I don't know who to credit it to. But would you listen to this quote? When you take one knee and surrender, soon enough you'll be on both knees begging for mercy from a mob which has none. Let me say that again. When you take one knee and surrender... Soon enough, you'll be on both knees begging for mercy from a mob which has none. I'm all for defending our rights. I'm a patriot through and through. But let's not forget that our Constitution is a man-made document. And as a man-made document, man can change it. Man can do away with it if he wants to. And we better learn to come to terms with this. You hear what I'm saying? Because I think up until now, it's always been, well, we have our Constitution. We better start coming to terms with the fact we may not always have our Constitution. But we have something far better than our United States Constitution. We have the Word of God. And it can never be changed. And it can never be done away with. So don't set your hope in any earthly country. Don't set your hope in any political party. Our hope is not Donald Trump. And if you said that's right to that, you better say amen to this. Our hope isn't Joe Biden. And listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm not old enough to know this, but is it just me or does it feel like this is the first presidential election where we're not really voting a person? I feel like it's just two completely different agendas. Our hope is in God. 
Now, just to be clear, I know I said some of this this morning, but I believe all who are eligible should vote. I believe that. It's a great gift from God to be able to cast a vote for your leadership. Do you realize most who have ever lived in the history of civilization have lived under some form of tyranny where they never had a say in who their leader was? And all they could do is pray like the psalmist, may their days be few and another take his office. We not only can pray that if necessary, but we can also have a voice. And as I said again this morning, I believe we should vote for that which gives us the best opportunity for the gospel to have free course in our nation. And I can tell you it's not under socialism that that'll happen. Just look at the socialist nations. But no matter how blessed or how judged this country is by God, this is not my permanent dwelling place. Guess what? It doesn't matter how far our country turns towards wickedness. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change this Holy Ghost-inspired Bible. And it doesn't change Christ's church. And let's never forget that this world is not our home. We are strangers just passing through. And if you'll get a hold of that, you'll stand in the day of adversity. We're just dwelling in tents of clay. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-8 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But then he says this in parentheses, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and rather willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're just wandering through this earth below. We're just going through by faith. And we're waiting for the day when this robe of flesh will drop and will rise to seize the everlasting prize. And by faith, we are rather... We are willing rather to be absent from this body than to be with the Lord. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I've got a desire to depart, which would be far better to be with Christ. But it's needful for me to be here, he says. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And if Abraham could wander in a strange land in a wicked place by faith, we can do the same. We can do the same. And while there may always be called a nation, a nation called America, it may be a strange land to us sooner than later. And we must adopt the mindset of Hebrews 11. We must always desire our better country, that is our heavenly country. Don't get attached to this world. 
Just go ahead and die in faith like Abraham did. You know what Hebrews 13, 14 says? For we have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We have a country prepared by God where those in Christ will one day inherit. We have a king who reigns in righteousness and nothing will ever enter his kingdom which will defile. We, like Abraham, we're just wandering by faith. We can only see that heavenly country by faith. And so it is by faith, we must walk with the Lord. Let's pray.